What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype podcast. On today's episode, Cleveland Cavaliers beat writer Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com joins me to preview the offseason for the Cavaliers. It's going to be a busy one at that. We're going to talk about Colin Sexton's restricted free agency, Karis LeVert's chances at an extension, what Cleveland is planning for the draft and free agency, and much more. I'm thrilled to have Chris on, one of my favorite guys to chop it up with. Uh, Chris, how's the offseason treating you so far, brother? Mike is going great. Uh, little man is doing fantastic. He's happy and healthy, and uh, it's nice to have a little bit of time this offseason to kind of break away from the daily grind. So <laughs> I can't complain. Well said. Uh, for those who don't know, Chris is a dad. Little man is taking a nap right now. So perfect time to record a podcast and get into all things Cavaliers. Um, you know, Chris, obviously you have a great pulse on the team. That's why I wanted to get you up uh, on the pod again. I enjoyed our our last uh, podcast. So things have changed a little bit since then, as now we get mm-hmm. ahead towards the offseason. And I think the biggest thing uh, to start with is Colin Sexton's restricted free agency. And you and I have talked about this on the side a little bit, but to me, Chris, this is going to be the most fascinating <laughs> negotiation of the offseason, I think, given um, his status as a high draft pick of the team and the fact mm-hmm. that um, he's just coming off uh, an injury. Um, with that said, um, you know, the, the Cavaliers want to retain Colin Sexton. Um, he's going to demand starting guard money, I'm told. And and there are some teams who will be in the market for a point guard this summer, including the New York Knicks and the Washington Wizards, who would have to acquire Sexton in a sign and trade if they want to mm-hmm. get him. Uh, last season, no restricted free agent signed an offer sheet, and players such as Cavaliers forward Lowry Markinen switched teams via the sign and trade. So yep. I did a little digging on on Sexton just to get an idea of what some execs thought of him, and I wanted to pick your brain on it. So. One executive told me, I think Cleveland will extend the qualifying offer to Sexton and look to match any offer. I don't see him necessarily receiving an offer, but I think Cleveland will use Sexton as a trade asset. I expect them to try and sign him to a deal in the 18 to $20 million annual range so they can eventually trade him. And then another executive told me it's a bad market to be a free agent. There's not that much money uh, currently available. Cleveland likely has the leverage with Sexton. Yeah. I personally agreed with uh, those assessments, and it would check the box for me with him wanting starting guard money. That kind of 18 to $20 million range that the executive um, projected, I thought, fit him well. Maybe right. he takes a shorter-term deal than he originally thought when he was going into the extension negotiations before the season. Chris, when you look at Sexton's free agent forecast and heading into restricted free agency, which you know we're going to project, obviously, because they can give him the qualifying offer, what are you seeing right now? Could it be a shorter deal, and do you see him uh, back with the Cavaliers at that kind of number I, I, I mentioned from the executive? So I think the thing is, Mike, if we go back to last year's offseason, the negotiations with Colin Sexton then about a contract extension, Part of what the Cavs were saying to Collins' representatives and part of what they were feeling going into those negotiations was that they were in the driver's seat. 
And, and a big reason for that is because they looked ahead to this summer, Mike, and they said, all right, if he's going to be a restricted free agent, like who are the teams that could potentially take him from us? And one of the things that they liked going back to last year's negotiations is that there weren't very many teams projected to have cap space this summer to try and take a run at Colin and try and make him an offer that was going to make the Cavs queasy about matching it. So they always felt like restricted free agency was something in their back pocket that was going to protect them. And my sources tell me at the end of the Colin negotiations, towards the very end, the two sides were kicking around Bogdan Bogdanovich money, so around $18 million annually. I get the sense that the Cavs are more comfortable, Mike, in the range of 15 to 18, and I think Colin is more looking 18 to 22. So I do think there's a gap that they need to close this offseason for negotiations. But the thing that the Cavs believe is that they have the leverage because very few teams have the cap space to make him the kind of offer sheet that they wouldn't be willing to match. And look, you know this. There were questions about Colin and his playing style coming into this year, Mike. There were questions about whether he was a sixth man or whether he was a starter. There are some teams in the NBA that just aren't comfortable with a six-foot-one starting shooting guard because he's not a point guard. He's more of a shooting guard than a point guard. Um, especially with the way that he plays. So with all the questions about Colin coming into this year, and then on top of that, he only plays 11 games, and the Cavs go on to have success without them, without him, and they, they win 44 games, that doesn't help Colin when it comes to the negotiations this offseason. So I do believe that Colin wants to be back. I believe that the Cavs want him back. But everything when it comes to Colin has always been, to me, about the right price. And I think the Cavs, just like the rest of the NBA, are going to have a hard time determining what is the right value for somebody like Colin, who, yes, can score 20 points per game on relatively good efficiency, but also comes with a variety of questions. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned his efficiency. I was looking it up for his career. Guy shooting 46% from the field, 38% from three-point range. That is good efficiency, as you touched on. And, you know, averaging 20 a game. Him being still a young guy, even though he's coming off the injury um, at 23. This guy's not going to turn 24 until uh, right. January. I, I think what's interesting here is you've got other variables as well since they started those negotiations um, with the extension talks that, that ultimately fell through. Darius Garland became an all-star point guard yep. and, you know, Jared Allen ascended as well. And you saw how the team played, as you mentioned, without him. I think that um, there is a role for a guy like Colin still on this team. But to your point, I think the, the question is going to be in what sense? Is it going to be him as like that kind of sixth man microwave score off the bench, or, he, right. you know, he could start and have an adjusted role with maybe less shots than before. I appreciated your insight onto the range disparity between where Cleveland was at um, and where Colin is at. That's why to me, Chris, I thought um, when the executive mentioned that 18 to 20 range, yep. I kind of felt like that was in the middle for both. And that ultimately if something's going to get done, you know, barring an offer sheet, that would be it. Um, 
you know, when I looked at the market as far as teams that could maybe go for a guard, I think it comes down to, you know, if a team is going to get them, like I, I kind of touched on in the beginning, it would be maybe via sign and trade. Um, mm-hmm. You know, do the Knicks, do the Wizards, teams that are looking for guards, they kind of take a swing there. They've both got younger cores. Um, those were the teams I was kind of eyeing as possible teams that could make a run at them. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, the Knicks are going to try to go after Jalen Brunson and, and you know, the Wizards. Right. I, they're, you know, they're a little unpredictable, but they made the <laughs> sign and trade for Dimwitty last year. And I said to myself, well, hmm, Sexton would be an interesting fit for that core. Um, you know, Brad Beal is, you know, going to be offered that ridiculous. Uh, that incredibly large contract that max. So it's like, well, how else then do you try to make that team better? You know, that's one way you could try. Do do you see any other teams out there that could make a run for Sexton? So I'll tell you one team that the Cavs internally are wondering about, not necessarily that they're worried about, but they're wondering about the Detroit Pistons. Um, Interesting. Some kind of lethal score next to, Cade Cunningham that can take some of the ball handling responsibilities off of him, take some of the pressure off of him, especially if Detroit decides that they're going to move on from Jeremy Grant. They would have a position there in their hierarchy for that kind of score first guard or that kind of score first mentality. And I think the other reason why he continues to be brought up with Detroit from people that I talk to is because one of the questions about him, Mike, is well, at least one of the questions that the Cavs have, can it work with him and Darius together, especially on the defensive end of the floor? Right. Darius Garland is six foot one, Colin Sexton six foot one, neither of them plus defenders. Darius tries really hard. He gets some steals, he gets some deflections, but there are limitations that every defense is going to have with that kind of backcourt setup. So if you look at Detroit, Cade Cunningham, with the size that he has, maybe the issues that the Cavs currently have with Holland defending twos and ones next to Darius won't be there as much with a bigger guard playing next to him. So that's the other team that comes to mind for me. Um, But I will say this, my sources tell me that the Cavs do not believe that there is a team out there that is going to give Colin a contract north of $20 annually. Now. Are they going to be proven right? Are they going to be proven wrong? I guess we'll have to wait and see. But coming off the injury that he's coming off of, the success that the Cavs had this past year without him, and like you said, yes, the Cavs want him back. Yes, the Cavs like him. But if we were having this conversation two or three years ago, Mike, and we were talking about the hierarchy within the Cavs' core, you know, Collins' importance would have been near the top of that. And and now, if you look at it, the Cavs are building this around Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley. And as more guys have been brought to this core, Collins' importance has been pushed down further and further, especially when you're talking about the young core players that they're trying to build around. They realize that they need somebody like him, especially his scoring, his playmaking, the attention that he can take away from Darius Garland and some of these other guys. But again, it's all about the value and the value that they see would have to match the contract that they give. And I think they feel very, very strong 
about the chances of, of retaining him at a number that makes them feel better moving forward. I agree. And then I think the other key to that is getting him at a number that's in a range where you could eventually move him as an asset. Right, right. Because, and I mean, Chris, you know this, like when a team hits a certain point with the cap, they're going to just keep the restricted free agent yep. and then look to flip him anyway as an asset and recoup um, some stuff back. I That's why I think ultimately that'll happen. He, he ends up staying in Cleveland and then eventually, um, I don't know when, but I would think eventually they're going to flip him. Um, right. For all the reasons we talked about. And with that said, you, know, you talk about the core. Now, they make the trade uh, during the season for Karis LeVert. And Karis always been a guy that, you know, he's dealt with injury issues. But when he's on the floor and get to the hole, can play high pick and roll a little bit, be a facilitator. Um, you know, he does a little bit of everything. So I was kind of picking executives brains on what a possible extension number could look like for him. Yeah. And so one executive told me, I think Levert will get around $20.5 million per season, which I thought was very specific, by the way, 20.5, like on the dot. Um, I, I, I was like, damn. Okay. Um, so 20.5 million, not per 20, yeah. not 21, 20.5, so, somewhere in the middle, right? Not 20 point, <laughs> not 20 point, you know, seven, five. So, the executive told me I think Levert will get around $20.5 million per season on an extension. That's a little too rich for me, but I believe Cleveland will pay him that if they want to extend him. Another executive said Karras is interesting due to his injury history. A short-term extension around the number he's on would be good value. He's making about $19 million. So the first executive I don't think was too far off, and then the second one kind of was in the same ballpark. Yeah. Um from what I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard the same, Cleveland would like to keep Karis LeVert. That's why they traded for him with that intention of, yep. re- of retaining him uh, further down the line. When you try to forecast his uh, extension talks um, you know, before the start of next season, do you foresee that as well? Maybe kind of a, a, a short-term extension, but one that could ultimately get done? I would surmise that both sides would like to make this happen at this point. I think they would too, but, but I think there's another layer to this, Mike. It's that the Cavs don't have to do anything when it comes to Karras. He's under contract next year. So if the contract negotiations don't go the way that the Cavs want them to go, he's still under contract and he would be in the final year of that contract, making it an expiring contract making it a potential trade chip. I'm not saying that's what they ultimately want, but that is in their back pocket, just like last year's negotiations with Colin had restricted free agency in their back pocket. So Karras, to me, is complicated because they did give up assets in order to get him. They gave up a lottery-protected first-round pick and multiple seconds. Now, they didn't convey the lottery pick this year. The Cavs are keeping it. They get the number 14 overall pick in the 2022 draft. So now it becomes a lottery-protected pick in 2023. If it doesn't convey then, it goes to two seconds. So they did give up draft capital in order to get him. And they did like him. And they still do like him. And there are people inside the organization that are optimistic that the carrots that the Cavs saw in the final two months 
is not the one that they would get this year because he's going to have more time to get acclimated. He's going to get into this new system, full off season with the team, bond with the team. JB Bickerstaff is going to have more time to figure out how to best use him. And Karras obviously suffered the foot injury as soon as the Cavs came back from the all-star break. So there are a lot of variety of factors that, that contributed to, you know, Karras not being the guy that the Cavs thought they were trading for. Um, in saying that, Mike, if we're having contract extension talks involving Karras, don't those have to be earned? <laughs> like, I think it's really, really difficult for the Cavs to be like, okay, you were really bad for two months. You weren't the guy that we thought we were going to get in a trade. So here's a new contract extension. Even though you didn't really earn it, we're still going to give it to you. So I think the Cavs are going to be patient with this. Um, and if they don't like the way that negotiations go, and it's not a team-friendly deal, I think they're comfortable just letting him go into the final year of his contract with the Cavs. They're certainly in the driver's seat in that regard. And, you know, uh, we, you know how it is, Chris. Anytime a guy's in a contract year, either the light bulb goes on or guys stay yeah. healthy. Like his, you know, his friend uh, D'Angelo Russell did it with the Nets, and he parlayed that into a max deal when he was there. I remember all the talk about him then. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I would... I would agree with that. And, you know, it, it it's kind of funny. You look at his situation and, um, you know, just the whole scenario about trying to, you know, the, well, the first couple of months weren't that great. And, you know, they have still high hopes for him. Mm -hmm. Transitioning that to a guy like Kevin Love, where for a couple of years, <laughs> um, it was almost like it was like at the pawn shop. And I, and I think of those guys, you know, doing the negotiating, like, Best I could do is two second round picks. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, you know, the guy, you know, the meme I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, those guys, I, I, Laker fans, uh, they are the kings of that. They were all last season, like, you know, best we could do is Bazemore, Dwight, and a second. Because <laughs> literally, that's what was the best they could do. I mean, um, like, there were teams asking the Cavs to include a draft pick just to get rid of it. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, Listen, like Kevin Love struggled with some injuries. Um, he was not the model citizen, I think, behind the scenes. He was frustrated and, right. and understandably so in the beginning because this is a guy that, you know, was an Olympian, a, an all star. And, and, and the Cavaliers, you know, LeBron had left. Kyrie was gone. And and it's like Kevin Love was like on Gilligan's Island out here. Yep. Of all the guys, by the way, that like, like Kevin Love is <laughs> like Kevin Love has been there. For a substantial amount of time now. And and it yeah. kind of blew my mind. So after years of being mentioned in trade rumors, you know, Kevin Love has reestablished himself as a productive player and a six man of the year candidate. He's he's redefined himself. Yep. Um, by all accounts, he's been a great veteran on and off the court for Evan Mobley and Jared Allen to play alongside and learn from. He's got an obviously an excellent relationship with JB Bickerstaff, who truthfully I think is the only guy that probably could get through to Kevin Love to accept this role. Right. Um I went from this guy being a guy that maybe they would try to sell off to, well, I almost wonder now if there's a way for both sides here after the season uh, to continue uh, their relationship. I mean, he's in the final year of his deal. He's at about almost $29 million. It's a great trade ship if you really wanted to use it now, which, by the way, that, that always cracks me up. 
all these like albatross contracts, the final year of the deal. Oh, now it's great. Oh, it's, right. uh, unless you're like Russell Westbrook and you got to add up to $47 million. I mean, that's all yeah. another thing. That's like playing Jenga. You know, you're trying to pull the pieces. Um, with Kevin Love, is this guy a dude that you think is now in their plans potentially after years of he, he wasn't going to be? Yeah. So I'll put it this way. I think, Mike, when you look at the Cavs, anybody not named Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen could be moved this offseason. Not saying that they would, but they could be. Those are the quote-unquote expendable pieces. Now, in saying that, they recognize the value that Kevin brings both on and off the court. And they need more adults. because. It's very, very difficult to win, Mike, you know this, in the NBA, with a bunch of kids. And Darius Garland has never been to the playoffs. He got a taste of the play-in tournament against Brooklyn and against Atlanta, but he's never been to the playoffs. Same thing with Evan Mobley, very limited experience for somebody like Karis LeVert, very limited experience for somebody like Jared Allen as well. So the truth is that the Cavs need the veteran leadership of Kevin, and they need the Experience and the stability that he brings unprompted Darius Garland, who has grown very, very close to Kevin throughout the last two years. Like every time we brought up Kevin and the kind of impact that he has on the team, Darius unprompted would refer to him as Hall of Famer Kevin Love. He's our Hall of Famer. So that's the kind of reputation that he has within the Cavs walls. They joke with him, they call him Grandpa Kev. But they understand the value that he can bring to the team. In saying all of that, you're right. Him being in the final year of his contract and making around $30 million means that opens up trade possibilities for the Cavs. If they want to get involved in Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell, Tobias Harris, some of these higher-priced guys, Harrison Barnes, some of these higher-priced guys, and they feel like those guys would be a better fit, Kevin is their way of doing that. His contract is one that matches some of these upper echelon players that could be available in a trade this offseason. Um, and, and that would keep the Cavs from having to trade away other pieces or combine a bunch of salaries from guys that they want to keep. So yes, I think there's a place for him. I think he's accepted this role. He fits in well. Players love him. The coaches, like you said, the relationships that he's built with the coaching staff, and it's not just J.B. Bickerstaff, but Dan Giroux, who is the head coach of the Cleveland Charge, who comes and, and helps out practices and stuff. That's been Kevin's guy for a number of years. So that relationship has been built over time, and it is a strong one. But, but if the Cavs want to go star hunting, Kevin is their path to doing that because of his contract situation. And the other thing, Mike, I think because of the way Kevin played this past year and him accepting this lesser role, I think it boosts his league-wide trade value. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, Kevin is thought of greatly by these teams around the NBA, but some of the questions that they might have had before last year, I think, have been answered, um, especially when it comes to his attitude and accepting a lesser role at this stage of his career. And you combine that with the fact that he's on an expiring contract, like that's going to make him attractive to a team that may be 
looking to dump some salary or shake some things up with their own salary cap situation. No question. I mean, you know, it's almost like, you know, when they used to ask Carmelo Anthony about coming off the bench, he'd be like, who, me? What? Yeah, right. You know, like for Kevin Love, that was almost like an unthought of thing. But he's he really excelled in the role this year. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for Tyler Hero, he would have been the sixth man of the year. And hey, I was I was one of the people, Mike, that that gave Kevin a first place uh, vote on my ballot for sixth man of the year. I mean, listen, I don't think. Uh, I, on the level, my shock level in that is probably at like a three out of 10. Um, <laughs> that's, you, you know, yep. that's your, that's your hometown team. And I mean, you see him every day. Now you see the impact he has on, right. on that team. Um, you know, I could, I could see the argument. I just think, I mean, overall to me, it's always like Tyler hero, 20 plus points off the bench, yeah. probably going to win. Um, yeah. but yeah, he was a good, uh, he was a double, double guy some nights for sure. but. You know, he also had, uh, well, you know what? You brought up some of the trade, uh, some names out there, some, some, if they wanted to go big fish hunting, mm-hmm. realistically, in terms of trade targets, um, who do you see as potential trade targets? Like, or do you, do you see them trying to go big fish hunting or do you see them more trying to, um, get some role guys to kind of fill out that team a little bit? I could see him going either way, and I think it depends on what the cost would be for some of these guys. The thing is, Mike, we all can understand what what the roster holes are for this Cavs team. If you, if you watch them play, you recognize that they need two-way wing scorers. That's what is required in the NBA, and the Cavs don't have those. And they need a reliable backup point guard to fill the Ricky Rubio role. Uh, Rubio was very, very good for the Cavs before injury, and then they flipped him in the trade for Karis LeVert. But that type of player, a playmaker to take pressure off of Darius Garland, because towards the end of the season, Mike, too much was being asked of Darius. He had to do everything for them offensively. And he was worn down. Physically and mentally, he was completely drained by the end of the season. So they recognize um, the issues that they have with this roster. And I think a lot of people recognize those as well. The problem is, Mike, two-way wings in the NBA are very, very difficult to get. And chances are you're going to have to overpay for those guys. The teams that have them and are making them available via trade are going to want a lot. And probably more than what the Cavs would have to give up. Because they're not giving up Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. And that's what those teams are going to ask for at the very beginning of these trade conversations. Um, So I think there's um, a realism attached to what the Cavs can actually accomplish this offseason in terms of trades, especially with what they'd be willing to give up. What does a package that's centered on Isaac Okoro get the Cavs? What does a package that's centered on Colin Sexton get the Cavs? Would the Cavs then have to give up a future first-round pick that's unprotected so that they actually have a centerpiece of a deal to try and get one of these kinds of guys? So because of that, I think there's a strong likelihood, Mike, and I think the Cavs would be okay with this, of running it back and just trying to make smaller moves around the margins that they think could be really, really helpful. Um, In saying that, here are the names that, that I've heard. And I'm curious which one of these you think would be best for the Cavs and maybe which one of these you've heard connected to the Cavs. I think both Bogdanoviches would make sense for the Cavs. Um, 
Gordon Hayward, whose salary lines up with Kevin Love. That would be the Cavs taking on an extra year, but Hayward bringing some of the skills that the Cavs don't currently have on this roster. Uh, Tobias Harris, Harrison Barnes, Gary Trent Jr., Jeremy Grant, Aaron Gordon. And, and this is one that I'm watching. I think it's less likely than it was um, when the postseason started, but it's one that I've heard kicked around inside the walls of Cleveland Clinic courts as Andrew Wiggins of the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's cute. Um, I think, well, first of all, they Jeremy, drafted him in 2014. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, look, Jeremy, he spent the summer league with him. Yeah, man. Like Jeremy Grant to me, I, you, I seen you rattle off a bunch of names. Um, all right. Tobias Harris. I think Tobias Harris, uh, can be had. Yep. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's, I don't know how much that's going to move the needle. I think Tobias is a great role player. Um, yep. you know, got to get you 18 a game, good efficiency. Um, Barnes, Harrison Barnes, I think is a solid, like fourth, fifth option, but right. to me, never right. really moved the needle. Either Bogdanovich, would, either Bogdanovich would be fine. Um, but I think Bogdan will cost a little bit more. Um, and Boyan, I, like I've known Boyan since the Nets days. You know, he always used to talk about every time. Well, what's the, what's the difference, Boyan? Why are you playing better? He always go, it's the confidence, immense confidence. Um, <laughs> I I think <laughs> I think you know Boyan in Utah like seems to fit, but you know who knows what they're gonna do with uh, that team. You you almost wonder if there's gonna be a shakeup at some point. You know, you can have continuity all you want, but it seems like they've peaked. Aaron Gordon's interesting. I don't see Denver necessarily moving him yet because they're going to try to go for the title. Um, did, I, did I miss any other uh, names you had brought up there? Uh, Gary Trent Jr. is one that I keep hearing. Uh, and Gordon Hayward is another one. Okay, so Gary Trent Jr. I mean, the Lakers um, had originally called on him uh, with Toronto. You know, when they were dangling the tail and Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, and, uh, you know, first round pick in... Mm -hmm whatever time the GM isn't even going to be there to make the pick <laughs> when they're allowed to actually give up a first round pick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that wasn't good. You know, that wasn't going to be, um, yeah. you know, Gordon Hayward is an interesting name you brought up now because yeah. Charlotte. So I touched on this on a podcast with Rod Boone, uh, you know, miles bridges here is looking at like 25 plus million could be a max right. annually. Right. So they're going to have to move somebody. Cause you know, like MJ's got a lot of money, but they ain't trying to go into the luxury tax like that. They didn't do it for Kemba Walker. Okay. Uh, right. They're going to have to look to tinker that roster. Gordon Hayward, they value him in the sense that um, when he does play, uh, you know, he's had his injury troubles. Um, he's good mm -hmm. for them. He's a solid veteran presence and he kind of rounds out that roster. I think he'd be a great fit for Cleveland overall. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think you would have to obviously overpay to get him. Um, he's on somewhat of a, shorter contract that wouldn't kill you long-term financially. I wouldn't mind that for Cleveland personally. I think that's uh, an interesting get. I don't think you'd have to give up major assets. You know, you're talking about like contract uh, scenarios around either Isaac Okoro or if it right. was around um, Colin Sexton. Um, those. I mean, Gordon Hayward and Kevin Love, the salaries match, and, and it would be the Cavs taking on one extra year of Hayward and the injury stuff attached to that and giving Charlotte some 
salary cap flexibility with Kevin Love's expiring contract um, moving forward. Not immediately, but moving forward. You know, I got to say, Charlotte has been... Charlotte hasn't had... I mean, I might be exaggerating this a little bit. When's the last time the Charlotte Hornets had a really, like, great center since, like, I don't know, Alonzo Mourning? Like, Kevin Love would be one of the best big men, even at this stage, um, you know, notoriety-wise that they've had. That that would be interesting. Um, It seems like every available center, Mike, whether it's in free agency or trades is always linked to Charlotte and it never happens. And then <laughs> Charlotte doesn't get back. It never happens. It blew my mind. <laughs> like, and listen, all due respect, you know, and again, the Italians will always say this all due respect, you know, Mason Plumley, great guy, had him with the nets, you know, here in Brooklyn, love him. Great yep. role player, kind of backup center, maybe fringe starter. But when they got him that, uh, off season, I was like, that's what we're doing here. Like, you right. know, you got like LaMelo now. You need to like move this forward. You need like a big time guy to me. Um, so to me, I think um, that's what's interesting there. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I, that, I, I like that, man. Um, you know, you should, you should, you got to talk to Colby Altman and Mike Gansey about that one. See, <laughs> <laughs> see what they think. Uh, you know, that, I, that, you know, I definitely like send that to them and, you know, in yeah. case that happens, uh, you know, you get a little uh, shout out for that in the, uh, in the press conference. <laughs> <laughs> so there's another name too, since they need a reliable backup point guard that can also start on some occasions beyond just the two way wing. Mm-hmm. And, and I've heard this one with the Cavs as well. I think it makes a lot of sense. My sources tell me J.B. Bickerstaff would love to coach him again. Mike Conley, if, if Utah decides to move him in an effort to put the right pieces around Donovan Mitchell um, and, and just shake up that roster, I, I think Mike Conley for somebody like Harris Levert, I think is something that the Cavs would consider. Interesting. So you'd play him and, in two-guard lineup with Darius? Interesting. And in that scenario, then I think the Cavs would make a priority of, of keeping Colin Sexton. And, and you see Karis LeVert as more expendable than Colin, just in that scenario. I, I'll say this. I don't know if Coach Scotto sees that one working out. Personally, I would, I'd like to see them bring back Ricky Rubio. But he was perfect for them. And sure. Lord, Lord, knows, Lord knows Kevin Love would be all about it. Yeah. And look, Mike, my sources tell me that there's mutual interest in that reunion. Um, the complicated thing about Rubio, in fact, like some people are essentially penciling him in as on this roster. I wouldn't go that far with it, um, but it's complicated because as much as he's a great fit, there are some variables here. One, how good and effective is he going to be coming off a second torn ACL? And you're not going to get him until about midway through the season, the earliest November and December. So for the first couple of months, let's say the Cavs use either their full mid-level exception on Rubio or part of the mid-level exception on Rubio. So that would be their big free agency move. Okay, but the backup point guard then becomes who? For those first couple of months, who is the guy to back up Darius Garland? Who is the guy to play alongside Darius? So the Cavs would then... I don't know if it's Rajon Rondo now. I don't think it Eh. is. Eh. I don't think it is. So then the Cavs would have to use another roster spot, and they don't have a lot of available roster spots to begin with. 
they would have to use another roster spot on a competent third point guard that could be a backup for two months, but then be completely okay for the final four months of the regular season being out of the rotation to make room for Ricky Rubio to be the backup. And there aren't a lot of guys that are going to sign up for that kind of role. I don't think at least that are good enough to be a backup for two months and the Cavs not be feeling the effect of, of, of not having Rubio for those first two months while he continues to recover from, from the knee issue. So I think it's just a little bit more complicated, but he would be a great fit. Darius loves him. The Cavs' best two-man lineup based on numbers, Mike, last year was Darius Garland and Ricky Rubio. They shredded opponents with those two guys on the court together, both offensively and defensively. So the fit makes a lot of sense. It's just there are a few variables that make it a little bit more tricky for the Cavs in the situation that they're in. Chris, I think Ricky Rubio and the Cleveland Cavaliers fit together like peanut butter and jelly. Um, I know Kevin Love would certainly love to have him back. You saw the difference when he left. It just seemed like Cleveland was trying to replace him all year. First with Karis LeVert, with the ball handling responsibilities there and acquiring him from Indiana. And then, uh, you know, also Rajon Rondo. Um, at the time when, when the Lakers were trying to sell him off as well. Um, they did the best they could. I, I agree with you. Yeah, they would have to have that extra roster spot because he's going to be out for a while. But um, Ricky would be great for them. I, I'm cur- I would like to see it happen. I know, obviously, he's got a he's going to probably have a lot of interested suitors in him. Um, he's got yeah. some fans around the league for sure. Time will tell on that. Um, with that in mind, we're coming up here on. Uh, the NBA draft and, and free agency shortly thereafter. Um, let's start with the the draft pick, 14th overall. Uh, personally, I think Cleveland has enough depth at several positions. They could afford to trade the pick if there's an upgrade to be made mm-hmm. out there. Um, you know, it, I, I guess if a guy like Dyson Daniels fell to them, he would be an yeah. intriguing guy, especially yeah. as you, know, you talked about them needing two-way guys. I don't know if that's going to happen, but um, when you look at the draft pick, what are the chances you think of them trading it? And also, if they keep it, um, who who could they go for? There's a couple of uh, Ohio State guys that could be on the board there at that point. I don't necessarily know if they're going to go that direction, but figured I would uh, toss that lob your way. The, the argument for them keeping it, Mike, is, is twofold. Um, one... They could get somebody at 14 that brings a skill set that they don't have. And their offseason mantra is playmakers and two-way wings. So if they could get a wing shooter at number 14, it's something that I think they would absolutely consider. If they could get a two-way playmaker at 14, I think they would consider that as well. The other thing that's in play here is Darius Garland is probably going to get a max extension as soon as free agency opens this offseason. They committed to Jared Allen. They're going to have to commit to Evan Mobley in the future. Who knows what's going to happen with Karis LeVert and Colin Sexton. The Cavs have decisions to make with both those guys when it comes to their contract. The bottom line is, this is going to be an expensive roster moving forward, and it's something that the Cavs have to consider. The guy that they would draft at 14, Mike, is really team-friendly in terms of the contract, and it's a young player under team control for the next four or five years. Whereas if they trade for somebody else, it's going to be a pricier guy And it's probably going to be a longer contract that stays pricier. 
You know what I mean? So those are things that the Cavs have to consider. But if if there's somebody that they could get in a trade, I absolute that that would fit their rotation and maybe start at the three or start at the two or be a sixth, seventh man in their rotation. I definitely think they would explore that. I just don't know that it's realistic for them to think they could get that back in a trade for the 14th overall pick. Um, they I would agree. probably have to, they would have to include Isaac Okoro or they would have to include Lowry Markinen, or they would have to include Jetty Osman and Dylan Windler, or they would have to include, you know, Colin Sexton or something along those lines. So the, the type of player that they would acquire in a trade centered around the 14th pick, the last pick of the lottery, I don't think it's going to move the needle all that much for them to give up the chance to take a swing on the upside of Malachi Bryanum, uh, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, Ben Matherin if he falls down the board. LSU's Tari Eason is a player that I know that the Cavs like. Kentucky's Ty Ty Washington is another one that I know that they like. Uh, Jeremy Sohan from Baylor is another one that I know that the Cavs are interested in. So I just think they like the pool of candidates that they'll be looking at at 14, and they're not going to feel like the guy they could trade for would impact them enough to give up that opportunity. And shortly after the draft, we got free agency coming up. If Cleveland offers Sexton, a qualifying offer is expected. Uh, they'd be about $21 million below the luxury tax with yep. the mid-level exception and the biannual exception available to spend in free agency, um, according to our hoop-type salary cap expert, Yossi Goslin. Um, so with that in mind, are there any specific names or free agent targets that you could see them going after? We, we've touched on the need that they could have, but any specific names uh, you're kind of keeping an eye on a little bit as we get closer towards uh, July. Yeah, so one of the names that I hear that the Cavs are interested in, according to my sources, and I'm not sure that this team is going to let him go, but they would be very interested in Tyus Jones to be Darius Garland's backup. He would fill the Ricky Rubio void. And, and if the Cavs feel like the complications involving Rubio are too much. I think they would use the full mid-level exception on Tyus Jones. Um, other names that I have heard that they're interested in, DeLon Wright, um, Kyle Anderson, if Memphis allows him to leave, um, Goran Dragic, and Howell Neto, who is... Um, Antonio Lang is the assistant coach for the Cavs, and Neto is Lang's favorite player in the NBA. They have a great relationship. So those are names to consider. And another one that I've heard recently, if they want to go away from point guard in free agency, um, it would be Jeremy Lamb and TJ Warren are two names that, that make a lot of sense for what the Cavs would need from, from a two-way wing. Well, what's interesting, Tyus Jones, uh, he wants to start. I mean, I think yep. the, the money you mentioned about offering him the full mid-level, I, I could see that. Um, you know, Kyle Anderson, you know, there's certain guys like on certain, I could see him. I mean, he's. He just know, does a lot of things that can help a team win. I just don't know that he does a lot of great things. It's just wild to me. Like his jump shot is as concentrated as like 
a, a, a like gallon of Tropicana freshly squeezed orange juice. You have a look on the back. It says like, you know, made from concentrate. It's like that is the way this guy like winds up and stuff. Um, he's almost like an old man at the gym uh, yeah. at the YMCA. But TJ Warren's interesting to me. I think, you know, TJ, um, you know, in the bubble, the guy lit it up like Times Square on New Year's Eve, but we haven't heard from him since because he's been hurt. Um, so, you know, somebody taking a flyer on him would be interesting. Um, a lot of I think it speaks, Mike, I think it speaks to the dearth of available wings in free agency. And going back to what one executive texted you about this year's free agency class, it is a thin, thin market. There are not a lot of impact players that are available that are actually going to move. I mean, obviously, Miles Bridges is is the prize of, of the two-way wings, but he's a restricted free agent, and that gets really, really complicated. But, but it tells you all you need to know that Joe Ingles coming off a torn ACL, TJ Warren, who hasn't played in two years, and Kyle Anderson are the biggest prizes of, of, of small forward free agency. <laughs> you know, it's funny. There's such, you know, you talk about the dearth at certain positions. There's an excess at center. And musical, right. and, and of course the Cavaliers have plenty of those. So you know, yeah, forget yeah. that. But I, I've been telling a lot of people, you know, you've got, uh, you got Nurkic, you got eight. I mean, you got Aiton, you got Nurkic, you got Mo Bamba, you got Nick Claxton, Andre Drummond. You know, there's plenty of others out there, and it's just like, man, they're gonna that that market's gonna get watered down too a little bit in terms of the money. Um, but you know. Luckily for Cleveland, they got my guy, Jared Allen. Um, his afro is going to be as big as his upside next season. Um, he won't cut it. Uh, you know, I've, I've joked with him about. Oh, Clark. no. He's he proud of that thing. No, yeah, he won't. He won't do it, man. I He won't. He won't change his food orders. He is a simple man who likes the things that he likes. And, and he's just going to stay true to himself. The, the biggest spend that he made uh, beyond a new house. The biggest spend that he made after getting the $100 million contract, Mike, was a 3D printer. <laughs> God bless this man. So that, so that he could make his own Star Wars helmets. Like That's who Jared Allen is to his core, and I love it about it. If Jared Allen came out one day with cornrows <laughs> and like a gold flavor flave kind of clock just, chain. Just I, not him. I would, I, he needs to do that though for ha Halloween. And like, I need to talk to him about this. Um, I love Jared. I mean, um, he, he's a character, man. I love him. Like I remember when we doing the zoom calls, like I'm, I'm sitting down, <laughs> I was doing one in my dining room. And, and when he, when he first got to Cleveland, he's like, I love your China closet in the background. I was like, dude, you are so unique. I love it. Yes. Um, he is one of one and, um, he is always smiling. Even when things aren't going his way, he is always smiling. And, and here's another funny thing. I, I talked to him about this recently, Mike, because, you know, he was a big ramen guy and he had his favorite place um, to, to get ramen in New York. So his favorite meal that he has found in the Cleveland area is from a place called Banana Blossom. And he gets pad thai. So this is an NBA player. This is an all-star center. You think that he would get these high-end steaks or something like that? No, 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 no. His favorite meal in downtown Cleveland is like a $15 pad thai meal. That tells you all you need to know about 
about Jared Allen. That's very much Jared Allen. Jared Allen used to also like walk to like Barclays Center sometimes to go to a game. That's exactly right. I mean, Kenny Atkinson used to too, but Kenny Atkinson could kind of, you know, like Kenny looked more like an average Joe than, you know, this like six foot 11 guy with an Afro. Yep. Uh, like Jared Allen, I, but Hey, love him. Great guy. Um, you yeah. know, you, you, the last thing I would round out with, you know, you touched on like how Evan Mobley is a core guy there. Um, I can't tell you, Chris, how many times I talked to other executives around the league about guys like, you know, in Cleveland and things like that. Mm-hmm. They, they all gush about Evan Mobley, man. Oh. Like that kid eventually, like we're going to do, um, hypothetical trade value rankings. Oh, geez. Type. Evan Mobley, I'd have to double, you know, hold on. Do I, have the Guy list? I. Do I have the list in front of me right now? Hold on. Let me see right now. I'm I mean, checking. he has got to be top 10. He might even be pushing top five. He's, I don't know if he's that high. He might be, um, I think they might've had him in like more the 15 range, but mm. I listen, man, where I voted for him was pretty high. Um, given what I hear all the time, but I, you know, I respect it. Um, the only thing I, you can't put them that high. Cause then you got guys like Giannis, Luka, Luka, Giannis uh, yeah. Jokic, Tatum, Embiid, you know, uh, yep. but he, he's definitely in like the 15. I think in ours, he came out like 15. I I'm, I'm waiting for our editors to publish that. I'm very excited. Um, but yeah, I man. think in, I think in like three to five years, man, he will be, in the MVP conversation, and he will be in the conversation for one of the best players in the NBA. That's how good he can be. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, the Chris Bosh comparisons I had heard a little bit out of college. I was like, that that's right. pretty substantial to put on a kid. Then you see him play, you're like, all right. <laughs> that, that's the thing. Like, you don't want to go down that road, Mike. You don't want to go down the Bosh, Anthony Davis, Giannis, Kevin Garnett road. But Evan Mobley forces you to go down that road with the things that he does on the court. There are multiple times per game that I'm just astonished at what he's able to do, either offensively or defensively. And he's just scratching the surface. And his three-point shot is coming together. You see it behind the scenes all the time. The form is getting better. His comfort with the NBA three-point line is getting better. He was more of an offensive threat as a rookie than I thought he was going to be. He was more consistent as a rookie than I thought he was going to be. So obviously he's the one that the Cavs are building around. It's going to be his franchise before long. And like I said, in three to five years, I think he's going to be in the conversation for the best player in the game. He is such a unicorn. Well, he's a, uh, you gotta be careful. You say that around New York, everybody like they get <laughs> like, they, they get chills up their back thinking about Chris Stapp's Porzingis. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know what, man, like, you know, Chet Holmgren, when I saw that comparison of Porzingis, you know, I'm like, eh, I don't know, man. He could, he could dribble and do a lot of other. He crossed up Steph Curry when he was a teenager. But, um, you know, look, Evan Mobley's a franchise cornerstone. Uh, Chris Fedor is a franchise cornerstone when it comes to the Cavaliers beat coverage. That's why I brought him on. My man, I appreciate you always for joining me. Always a lot of fun, whether we're chopping it up in the, uh, in the media room or yep. on the pod. I appreciate you coming on, brother. Yeah, you got it, man. Anytime. You know how to get in touch. Always. And I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members, such as Chris Fedor, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. 
You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike Ascato. Make sure you're following Chris too. He's at Chris Fedor. That's Chris F-E-D-O-R. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best.